Welcome to Backyard Oasis, a podcast designed by and for older adults living in the beautiful Pioneer Valley of Western Massachusetts and produced in the tech studios at Greenfield Community College in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Backyard Oasis reaches out to older adults who seek knowledge to help them live more thoughtfully, healthily, and happily who hope to inspire others with their ideas and who serve their communities in the interest of the greater good. We hope you join us frequently in our pleasant backyard oasis for wide-ranging conversations with a diversity of people who are growing older and want to talk about it. All right. Hello, my name is Judy Raper, and I'm here with Backyard Oasis uh, out of Greenfield Community College. Today, we're going to have a conversation among four people, each born in different decades, about our experiences with technology and how technology has driven our behavior and shaped our relationships. While technology is obviously not new, its rapid expansion has changed the way children grow up and the ways in which we relate to each other, research and take in information, and conduct our daily lives. Technology has played a role in shaping every recent generation. Baby boomers were the first to enjoy the conveniences of having a television and telephone. When members of Generation X were growing up, the personal computer and email emerged. When millennials were coming of age, smartphones and texting came onto the scene as they navigated an internet-driven society. And Gen Z has grown up communicating largely on handheld devices while social media continues to play a significant role in their lives. Virtual and augmented reality have also resulted in defining technological products like self-driving cars, 3D printing, and nanocomputing. We're going to start today's conversation with each member of our panel identifying the year they were born and how technology did or did not shape their formative years. We also plan to explore how intergenerational and other relationships have been impacted by technology, as well as how the information and news available to us via technology has changed the way our worldviews are shaped. None of us are content experts, and we are not here today to solve any global challenges. We are simply here to have a conversation about our lived experience in the hopes that we can better understand each other and encourage others to talk about their shared and divergent experiences. <coughs> We're going to start with my friend Ann Miller, and she will introduce herself, and then we'll hear from the rest of the panel. My name is Ann, and I was born in 1953. We did have electricity. I, I want to make that clear. But in, in way of background, there's two important things. One is my dad was an engineer, so he loved anything that had to do with electronics. And all four of us kids adopted that as kind of a worldview. And the other is that we loved, in my family, music. So anytime there was a new way to listen to music, we wanted to have that device. And that really drove us, and, and still does. Um, the, the TV that we watched, we had one TV, it was in the living room, and that, what was really important about that was there were only three stations our antenna could get, ABC, NBC, CBS, and the news was gospel, and Walter Cronkite was God. We totally trusted <clears throat> whatever we heard him say. There was no questioning whether or not news was reliable. And that was really something very hard for me to <laughs> kind of wake up from in the last 10 years or so. 
Um, so that, that gives a start. Pass it off to someone else. Max, you're up next. Hi, my name is Max Fripp. I was born in 1977, graduated from Mahar Regional High School in 1996, graduated from the University of New Hampshire in 2000, and in the proud dad of 14 and 11-year-old boys. And I share all that because I feel like I am that last generation that knew life before the internet and life after. Uh, and I think it's an interesting uh, snapshot. When I was in high school, thanks to UMass, we had dial-up internet at home, which rarely worked and sounded like, you know, you had to dial through and you couldn't use a phone. Uh, I didn't learn about Google until my senior year of college in 2000, where you started using Google for my, uh, my thesis. Uh, it was a late adopter to Facebook and all the other things. And so I've seen kind of growing up before the internet, living through the internet, now being a tech-enabled worker myself, and now watching my two kids who are digital natives and how they're experiencing it. I uh, am feeling more on the concerned about where our digital world is going as I look at the impact it's having on young people. I also teach high school kids. Uh, and think the promise and potential of the internet that we knew in the 90s and early thousands seems more and more a faded reality. Well, hello, my name is Adriana, and I was born in 1998. Um, and so both my parents are born in the 70s and 80s kids. So during my childhood, I mean, they had phones and Blackberries were kind of coming into existence and they had laptops and computers with access to the internet. Um, and then school was a lot of a lot of tech stuff. I mean, as soon as I got into elementary school, it was this is, you know, this is how you type and this is Google and you can access all of this information. It's just at your fingertips. So growing up in all of school, that's just what it was. You know, any research that I had was normally, you know, sit down at the computer and figure it out. Um, and so being in college now, it's given me a lot of skills, I think, as far as re research goes. Um, but I do lack in the area of having to go and look at, like, databases or cards in the library. Um, and I have never seen, like, a TV with antennas or having to do all the dials and everything like that. Um, I remember not really knowing what a tape was. Like, not really knowing how to put cassettes or anything in. So, I mean, as far as the pandemic in, like, my early 20s, I feel like I've become so reliant on my cell phone and my Apple Watch and all the ways I can stay connected to people, which is great in a way, but also it has created this barrier between me and social situations, I would say. It's created this anxiety a little bit around what it's like to talk to people. Even sitting here today at this table is is a lot for me, but yeah. Well, thank, thank you all. And I, the only thing I would add to this, so I forgot to mention that I was born in 1964, so a little bit probably closer to Anne's experience in terms of my memories and my formative years. But one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about related to this conversation is I spent several decades working in residence life at four-year institutions. And during that period, I lived in most of the time. Um, and where I really saw the impact of technology was on community in these live-in situations. And so when I was an undergraduate student, 
you had to come out of your room because that you had to, you know, we all shared a bathroom. We all shared a phone. We all shared a TV. I mean, some of us had TV in our rooms, but they were typically very small black and white TVs, and the large color TV was in the main lobby. So when football games were happening or basketball games were happening, we gathered in those spaces and we created community. And, and, and I can remember late at night sitting out in the hallway having conversations because there really wasn't, you know, you weren't going to be talking on your phone to each other. There was no way to do that. And over the years that I continued to work in Res Life, I so slowly saw the lounges empty out and people not leave their rooms. And I remember just being really struck by what I was witnessing as a loss, but other people were seeing as a gain because technology enabled them to do so many things they couldn't have previously done. And one night that stands out to me is I was working at Linden State College in northern Vermont, which is now Northern Vermont University. And we, it was 1999, so we were kind of like seven years post-internet, but still it was, it was quickly, you know, leading to people not needing to leave their rooms. And the power went out for a full 24 hours. We just had a power outage. We had a big storm, and the students were like, what do we do? Why, I don't know. How, they didn't know how to function. And so I said, well, I have a bunch of board games in my office, and I have candles. And so we lit up the lounge, and we had all these games. And the number of students who said to me in the aftermath that was the best night of my college experience was really remarkable. And I was, I was grateful that we were able to sort of provide them a snapshot of what they were missing because it's hard to explain what you're missing when, when you've never experienced it. So I was really struck by what you said, Adriana, about the social anxiety. And I'd love to hear you talk more about that. Um, I know even for me, I've always felt pretty at ease socially. But as I retreat more and more into the world of technology, and particularly during COVID, sometimes I feel like I'm out of practice and these situations can feel anxiety producing. Yeah, um, to the power outage situation, <laughs> um, especially in the summer, like if we have a storm or something like that and the power goes out, the first thought that crosses my mind is, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to do anything with my hands or I can't see anything on my phone. Like I can't scroll for four hours. Like what am I going to do with myself? Um, and I have a, I have a partner. I, we could talk or <laughs> read or do something that doesn't involve my phone. And so that puts into perspective like just how reliant I am on it, which becomes a problem. It can really become a problem, especially as I grow older and move into a career and have to use interpersonal skills to push myself along into a, a social work career, you know, which, which is what I'm interested in. Um, and it, it, I wasn't always like this. I feel like in my like late teens, like my 19s, 20-ish, it wasn't... <sighs> I, I was connected, but not in the same way because I had a smartphone, but there wasn't TikTok and there wasn't, you know, there was Facebook, but it wasn't like what it is now. I couldn't just scroll in the middle of the day. It was, I have to go to school and talk to my friends. And then after school, it was texting or calling each other. But even still, we could hang out and not think about picking up my phone. And as the years have gone on and the iPhones have become more advanced, that's all I do now is I'm on my phone scrolling and taking in loads and loads of information. Um, and l I'm listening to music all the time or a podcast all the time, or I'm taking up so much of my time with, you know, the technology that is at my hands. So I do feel this like anxiety wash over me when I leave my phone somewhere or the power goes out or my phone dies and I can't get to a charger and I rely on it so much. Like, how am I going to get home without my GPS? Well, <laughs> you better figure it out. That's my thing is like in in the last 
year or so, it, it, coming out of COVID and everything like that, I have really tried to push myself not to touch it as much, you know, just like disconnect. But even still, I feel like tethered in a way, like tied to this device. And at any point I could shut it off or put it down, but I just don't. It's difficult. I think listening to you, what I was struck by is we often talk about what makes generations so different, that we're all so different. And I could relate to pretty much everything that you were saying. You know, even though I didn't grow up with the same kind of technology, I had the same kind of anxiety when I'm not, when, the, when I leave my phone someplace and I can't communicate and so forth. What about other folks' responses to what Adrian had Well, to say? just thinking about the downsides of social media and, and some of the devices, I feel like I was really in a sweet spot because there was so much excitement about games and um, Blackberries and, and different kinds of phones and, and computers. That was like, oh, wow, it was all about possibility. And we hadn't yet experienced these kind of downsides that you're both describing, which are we know so well now. I think about privacy. And back in the day, we were really, my family was happy to have a private phone because um, party line phones were problematic. That was a tiny thing <laughs> compared to the kind of privacy concerns that exist now. And as soon as everyone could get a private phone, they would do that. And that, that was really it for privacy concerns until we got into um, social media and other things that you've, you've mentioned. What is a party line phone? What does that mean? Oh, party, I wonder oh if you knew. No. <laughs> it was basically several houses sharing a phone line. You had your own phone, but when you'd pick it up, You'd have to tell the operator, I want to make a call, this is so-and-so. But the operator knew who you were, so you didn't even have that privacy. What's an operator? What's an operator? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know what a payphone is. I know you have to put some change in there. So this was, an operator was like the conductor on a train. They, they figured out which, which house was going to be able to use the phone line next, and they would make a physical connection so that that house could have the, have access to that phone line. But if somebody else was already using that line and you picked up the phone, you could hear their conversation. Wow. It's so funny because we have we have a program at GCC. Uh, we, we partnered with a global organization called Cyber Seniors where young people are trained to help older adults navigate technology. And so this program is sort of based outside of my office or the lounge outside my office. And just a few weeks ago, I had a student in there helping an older adult learn how to use his iPhone. He had never made a call on an iPhone, and he was talking about the party line experience and how <laughs> he had one neighbor that could never hear, and he would yell at her to try to get off the phone that he really needed to use it, and she could never hear. So it's funny that you bring that up because I haven't thought about party lines in a long time. We didn't have a party line. I wasn't on a party line, but so, my neighbor, a lot of my neighbors were. Yeah, and that operator is sitting in a room somewhere with a whole bunch. This is what I'm picturing. I'm sorry. This operator is sitting in a, in a large room somewhere with all these wires. Kind and of a switchboard. <laughs> He has to unplug something and plug it back in somewhere for, wow. I mean, we had home, I, I had a home phone and, you know, if someone else was on the line downstairs and I picked up the right. other home phone, I right. could hear. Exactly That's like exactly that. what it was like. Exactly like that. Except they'd be in a different house. Only it was, yeah. Wow. And, hmm. <laughs> that's, 
wild to me. So to you think. can see why we were so excited about all these developments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you talk about privacy. I, I think that the newer generation doesn't know what that means, <laughs> just because we share everything we're doing, and so it's privacy in a in a different way. So it, it can be a, a good thing and a bad thing, and I think that most of the time it turns into a bad thing to share everything that you're doing. And even even in that, there's not a whole bunch of truth with what everyone is sharing online. You know, it's like, okay, I went to Greece, and this is how my life looked for four weeks in Greece, and it was so magical and beautiful, but you're only seeing snapshots of those moments that these people were having and so I'm finding myself and I know a lot of other people are finding themselves just creating this narrative for that person and so you see them in real life and you're just you have all these notions about this person which aren't necessarily true so that that that's my fear is <clears throat> you know I think again in the early days of the internet and the world wide web there is a sense of optimism, a sense of possibility, a sense of um, social justice and equity, that this is going to be the great leveling in the playing field. And I don't think we've seen that play out. I think what we've seen is um, people narrating their life and making it look one way, but yet social isolation feels higher than it's been in decades. Uh, Teens feel connected because they can snap each other, Snapchat that is, uh, or IG or TikTok or all these things, and yet uh, you suicide is at the highest rates that we've seen in a very long time and growing. Uh, and so we have this, um, this paradox that we have to figure out, which is how can we live with tech and yet make sure that we have social connections, make sure that people don't feel isolated, even though they feel connected. And that is what freaks me out really as a dad. When I watch my two sons scrolling and doing whatever they're doing and most of it's meaningless content like in my kids experience like I wish they were learning and doing deep research they're scrolling and they're getting bombarded by image it's adding to the ADD stuff and hours go by and they haven't talked to a human they haven't moved their bodies they haven't gotten air and I don't think they're that much more holistically rich or wiser because of it sometimes I think they're dumber and uh if we don't get our hands around it, I'm very nervous about our future and, and how we grow a future generation that can go to work and make sure the work gets done without feeling like, wow, I just spent eight hours and yet I barely wrote a memo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Being able to focus and stick with whatever priority it is that you say you've got to work on. Yeah. 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 Doing, I, I call it deep work. You know, I, I need, I spend hours a day trying to do deep work. I, I intentionally shut my phone off. Judy sent me a lovely text Friday evening. I'm now at the point where I'm not looking at my phone on weekends. I'm going back to like old school days. Good to know. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, be, 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 because I don't, I don't right. want to be connected all the time. I don't want to be connected all the time. And I'll text, you know, if I need to get on, I will. Um, I don't need to spend my time on my phone. And I feel better when I'm not on my phone, personally. Yeah, I can't relate. Um, <laughs> I, I can't relate to, you know, filling up my time with something other than my phone. Mm. Because if I'm not emailing or I'm not doing homework while well, I'm scrolling on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram for hours, and, you know, by the time I know it, I'm five hours deep and mm. just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I don't even... 
I mean, I could go back and tell you everything that I watched. I could tell you some things that I watched. Mm. Um, and so I think about TikTok too and everything that's going on and and with that whole world and wanting to ban it and take it away. There, There is educational, valuable things on TikTok, but it's so few and far between that I think you're right. There is no real value with it. Um, and feeling connected to me is it is still saying hello in the hallway and, and shaking hands and having that together feeling and moment. Um, but I'm still ready to go and veg out on my couch for an hour or two on TikTok to relax or feel disconnected from people. You used an important term. You, you mentioned having TikTok taken away. And I think that's where we are now, mm-hmm. that <clears throat> as, as many problems as we're aware of, if we stopped Facebook or we look at what's happening with TikTok, there are people who are just mortified about that and, and feel very, very strongly about, no, I, you know, that's something I have a right to have. And it would be, don't take that away. It's kind of like now, once you've had it, how do we, how could we conceivably back away from these things other than through just personal discipline? But is that the answer to the problem or is it, do we embrace the TikTok and the Instagram and Facebook and flood our brains with something a little more enriching? You know, I, I do see that there is like a disconnect between this connection that I have with people and humans and the social anxiety that I have, even though I, I'm, I'm sure I come off as an outgoing, personable person. And that's a skill that I've had to learn and lean into because I do interact with more older people and people not my age, just because that's what I'm comfortable with. I always have been. And so, you know, people my age are a little younger than me. We get along but I also struggle to relate to them in a sense of belonging. I'm, I'm slightly older here at GCC, so finding students my age has been a challenge. But, I mean, I have plenty of friends that are younger than me, and that's fine. I just can definitely see how my conversation skills are different from theirs. You know, there's a lot of, like, social media references or trends that I'm not on. You know, it took me, I, I'm wearing Crocs today. Every, all of my friends are wearing Crocs. And when I was a kid, those weren't cool. And now they're cool. Mm-hmm. So it's that like relatability kind of. There was a great NPR that's National Public Radio yes. for those young people that don't listen to radio uh, about Crocs today. It was a really great conversation about the switch. I have to actually go get on a, another meeting about digital equity. Uh, so I'm going to do a mic drop. I'm going to share a few things, and then I'll, I will leave and let you all marinate on it. But um, a few things that I think are really important is we know, based on research, that all these big media companies, our Facebook and, and all the rest, um, have algorithms that allow people to go down rabbit holes that have created really dangerous situations in our world. Uh, we know the impact of social media on young females is having detrimental effects on body image and sexual risks. We know that for young men, social media is having huge implications on self-worth, consumerism, and a feeling that I don't have enough. And I think we could get back, if we have the guts, to stand up to these billionaires who run these companies while all of us are doomsday scrolling to say, we need you to tighten it. We should not be able to start hate groups that become national movements. Uh, We should not look at a generation of young people who are not doing as well 
holistically right now. And so I hope we can find a middle ground, which is we don't need to take it away. But let's not design the products to do harm when we know they're doing harm. And these people are making hands over fists more and more and more money, while many, 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 many of us are getting more and more left behind. So there's huge equity issues. I would also say we have huge equities in this county around still access to technology. Um, how do we help our young people learn these skills so that they can have jobs in the 21st century and not get left behind that way? So there's a lot of work to do. Um, I might go hide in the hills and never touch my phone again in a couple of years. That's where I'm <laughs> heading. But uh, appreciate you all sharing, and thank you, Judy, for having me today. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Max. One thing that Max mentioned that I've been giving, I've been thinking about a lot, and I spent so, so where I spend most of my time in terms of social media is Twitter. It used to be Facebook. Um, I started to get really depressed by Facebook. I started feeling like everybody had a more fun life than I did, to be honest with you. It was really, it's, yeah. Facebook can be challenging, and I can't imagine what it's like for young people. But I'm curious to hear a little bit from you, Adriana, about you know when I, I do go down rabbit holes because I get really interested in a particular topic or a country or an event, and I want to read everything I can about it. I, lo I really love research, and it's, it's much easier today than it was when we were growing up writing research papers. It's very different. But I feel like I kind of have a sense of how to discern truth from fiction, or at least um, opinion versus truth. I, I, so when I go down these rabbit holes, I kind of know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Is that being taught in the schools, how to critically think about social media, you know, what yeah. you're learning? Critical thinking, that's yeah. exactly what it is. And I was very fortunate enough to have a parent who fostered that holy it was very important to my dad to be able to teach us how to critically think and so my peers or you know people who are a little younger than me I noticed that they'll see something or just a fast fact right because we're scrolling and mm -hmm. we're looking yep. at these all this information really quickly and I'll hear something that sounds very headliney mm -hmm. like did you know clickbait right absolutely <laughs> and so while I believe them I want to believe you where did you hear that you know I, I distinctly remember my sister who is a little younger than me she shared something on Facebook and uh, it was completely wrong it was the wrong date um, and the source was fine but it was from two years ago and it was this weather this huge storm that was coming in and she was like oh my gosh you know this is scary and crazy and it took me one click to look at the date it's like one of the few things that I look at is the date and then the source of where it's coming from and I commented, I said, this isn't right. Like, this is two years old. You didn't even check. And so I think critical thinking is not being, I'm sure it's being taught. I, I think that's not fair of me to say that it's not being taught. But I don't know that it's being received in the same way it should. Because the information is so readily available that I, I think about, you know, where is the baseline for what to trust and what not to trust if it's just thrown in my face all day? Mm -hmm. So I, I am a critical thinker. I've always been a critical thinker, and I've been taught to ask questions. So, yeah, I think I, think I ask, you know, what's the baseline for the information you're trusting? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned your parents being really critical in your um, capacity to think critically, and that's one thing that, well, there's many things that scare me right now, but one of them is the increasing involvement of parents in what their kids are learning in school. And that's not to say that parents shouldn't have any say. I don't mean it like that. But I'm getting more, I, I, I'm frightened that we're going to get even more and more into our bubbles and into our camps 
if we can't even be exposed to some different ideas at school than we are at home. Yeah. And I, so I'm 24 and, you know, my parents were raised in the seventies and the sixties. And so they come from a less sensitive generation. And so me being raised that way, and again, having to be this critical thinker, I would say that, you know, learning all the new language and how to be more sensitive to things has posed a learning curve to me, especially if we're thinking about how connected we are in our devices and stepping out into the world. It's sometimes difficult for me to evaluate the language that I have been using and change it because it's I'm so used to this is how things are, this is how things aren't. And so that's where the critical thinking piece is so important. But I also worry for the younger generation, if we're not being taught that, if they're not being taught that critical thinking, then how sensitive are we to be in the future generation? Which being as sensitive as we are now is a positive thing. It's in, it's change. It's, it's a brighter future in some capacity, but then you think about how separated we've become and that's even more scary. You know, where's the, where's the commonality between Mm. us and how can we relate to one another? you know, on a productive level. Thinking about what Max said about the algorithm Mm -hmm. and what that does is it takes you deeper and deeper into things that you've already expressed an interest in. If that was, if that was turned on its head and took us in directions that we don't typically go, how much more educational would that be? I mean, what would that be like? So what, what you're describing there, you know, you, if you're using the words and the communication style that you've always used, you just go further and further and further in that direction. What, what, what is there that's helping you to really broaden that out? Right. Critical thinking, I suppose. But then it's like asking those questions and challenging the questions. And why would I do all that when I have Google? Like, I could just answer the questions that I have already. And I think about, too, um, Judy and I talked a while ago about a career and what people of my generation think a career is. Um, And it's not sitting in an office, a nine-to-five job, you know, 40 hours a week. It's on my phone or my laptop working from home or marketing through, you know, some, some form of digital marketing. And while that is useful because we're moving into an age of, I call it saturation. There's a lot of saturation all around me on the radio. Um, when I'm scrolling, there's ads on every platform. It doesn't matter. Um, we're just learning how to be smarter about it, I think. We're getting smarter on who and how we're marketing. And it's it becomes oversaturating and overwhelming at times. So, And, and one of the ways people can deal with that is becoming numb right and yeah. you don't want to go through life being numb no. and having having to use that as a coping mechanism more and more right I, I think about that algorithm too and sometimes I feel crazy like I feel like I won't you know something will pop up on my feed that I don't think I speak out you know because that's mm-hmm. what it is is you're mm-hmm. speaking something and your phone is picking it up and then tailoring your ads and everything to what you've you know searched or talked about and then like Every other week or so, I'll see something pop up on my feed that I thought about, but I didn't think I spoke Said, about yeah. or That's searched scary. at all, which is very scary. It's really scary to know that that information is becoming, maybe I'm predictable. Really, maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm predictable, and it's getting so smart that 
it knows exactly what I want next. Well, it's also about when Max mentioned the billionaires that, mm-hmm. that own these platforms. I mentioned that Twitter is the one that I'm most attached to. My experience has changed dramatically dramatically since Elon bought Twitter. Um, and now what I do, you know, it used to be that pretty much, and I'm kind of ashamed to say this, but pretty much everything that came across my feed, I was in agreement with, you know, to mm-hmm. be honest with you, it was kind of affirming or it resonated. Well, that's the design. That's the design. But it doesn't seem to be the design anymore because now I find really offensive things coming across my feed that I would never have clicked on something that would have led me to that. And so I keep thinking about, like, why did he buy Twitter for all that money? Well, it's about controlling the flow of information. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. And so critical thinking and being able to think independently is so important because – the, you know, and even the ways in which we are divided by the way in which information is shared and the, and the information that is shared with us. So it's like you talk about like remote work and things of that nature. It allows us to then dehumanize each other on these platforms. And once we've dehumanized someone committing violence or commit, you know, and things of that nature become inconsequential because we didn't harm a human, which is really terrifying. So let's end this on a positive note. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, I mean, I mean, I guess one of the things that I just want to, like, sort of talk about at the end, you know, Adriana, when you were asking Anne, what's a party line and what's an operator? I always think of young people as having so much to teach us about technology because it's not intuitive. To me, it's still like a foreign language, even though I can do enough to do my job or I know enough to do my job. Um, but learning new things is really hard for me. And it was really striking me how much we also have to teach you about what, you know, what, what you've sort of missed and what life was like and how we got here. So I mean, I, I guess one of the things I'd love to end, a note I'd love to end on is just sort of thinking about how do we do a better job of connecting different generations around, around technology? Get, get, I mean, there's a reality that we have to embrace, but how do we do a better job of connecting to each other um, with those realities in our faces? That's not just about here's how to use the latest. Right. That's really about, connect, you know, like... Like one yeah. thing that I'd love to do um, is do some intergenerational common reads, you know, and, and we could, you know, I, I, I'm, it's interesting because a lot of the population that I work with in my job is older adults. And I'm surprised by the number of older adults who get frustrated if I offer something that's not on Zoom because they have now found that an easier way to access my programs and information because sometimes like they have a disability that doesn't make it easy for them to get to campus. So, you know, so really, and, and to me, when I hear that, I think, well, you're not going to really get to know other people if we're just on zoom together, but you know, so is a hybrid intergenerational read. I mean, I'm just, I'm just really been trying to think about ways to embrace, accept where we are with technology, but use it in a positive way to yeah. really make authentic connections. I would like to know more about, the older technology and you know where we started and where we are now because that's not something that's really taught i mean we learn about in history we learn about the first car that was made but that's a vehicle you know i mean i'm thinking party line home phone (laughs) i would like to see um i I would like to get my hands on some of these devices Mm, like a typewriter that's interesting and sort of set it up in a way like come and see how these things work you know or a television with an antenna you know, and someone, someone just, she's like, with a foil. Pe- yes. A petting zoo of devices. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> to sit there and be like, this is how we did it. Yeah. You know, and maybe if we could get them up and working and see. That would be really how interesting. They're used. I like that idea. Sort of like a, like a museum, like an interactive museum. Preserve these things mm-hmm. and come and 
like interact with them. I would really like mm-hmm. to try out some party line business. I've seen some funny videos <laughs> of older adults asking young people to try to figure out the rotary phone. Have you ever seen some of those? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, hysterical. Yeah. They I really. Mean, it's not intuitive. It's not intuitive to you how to use no. that kind of. I mean, I had a technology. flip phone at one point. Yes. Um, and my friend Bela, who's actually he's eighteen, he just um, got a flip phone. Like he said enough with my smartphone and switched to a flip phone because he wanted to feel more disconnected and a little more mm-hmm. grounded in yep. reality. And so my first reaction to that was, are you okay? <laughs> are you all yeah. right? right? Like, do you know right. unusual? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And he yes. was like, I'm, this is a cry for help. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I thought it was. I was like, are you sure? And he was like, I'm perfectly fine. I just don't want to spend eight hours on my phone. So that was his way of moving into a less connected way of the world which is great I really admire it if you can do that I just have anxiety about it if I put it down not necessarily less connected it might be differently connected yeah I get a phone call now from Bela instead of a text yeah Mm -hmm. which is cool so we gotta get some party line stuff going (laughs) when you said party line I really thought like you, yes, I, I thought sounds good. All your friends were calling on this line somewhere. That was hysterical. They were like, "Okay, meet here on Friday somewhere." Yeah. So well, well, this has been a most enjoyable and informative conversation. I want to thank my guests Anne, Adriana, and Max, and Alex, who has patiently been listening to us and, and recording, and will help put this podcast together. And for those of you listening, if you have any ideas related to the topic we've been discussing, please feel free to contact me. Uh, my contact information um, is both on the uh, website as well as will be included in the um, conclusion of the Oasis podcast. So thank you so much for joining us, and have a good day. Thank you, Judy. This concludes today's podcast. We're always looking for new ideas, so feel free to reach out to Judy Raper, Associate Dean of Community Engagement at Greenfield Community College at 413-775-1819 if you have an idea you'd love to share. Special thanks to the creators of Backyard Oasis, Denise Schwartz, Chad Fuller, Dennis Lee, and Christine Copeland. Have a great day.